welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast presented by Oz Rally Pro. This is episode number 92 for Wednesday, January 13th, 2021. And in this show, we talk with one of my personal favorites, and that is Dirtfish WRC reporter Colin Clark. We'll talk about all things WRC and then some. So join us around the fire, in the shop, in your car, in the shower, wherever it is that you listen to us, and join us for another round at the virtual rally pub we call the Rallycast. Greetings, I'm your host, Mike Shaw, and I must say there are few guests that get me more excited of having on the show than Colin Clark. When WRC came into my life about a decade ago, it was Colin at the stage ends and Bex Williams and the the, uh, media center that I was listening to all the time on WRC Live Radio, and that was my introduction to uh, the the top level of motorsport with rallying, and really kind of sucked me in. Uh, at the same time, their Twitter was becoming a thing, and we'd be able to have these conversations online. There was a whole group of us that was uh, pretty consistent at uh, communicating online with each other. With those relationships that were built, we actually got Colin Clark to come to the United States and came to the Oregon Trail Rally. And so I got to see him in person, and uh, we became pretty good friends. Uh, it's it's always great to have him on. He's such a great personality for the sport and it, it, it makes us laugh. He's had a lot of fun experiences and whatnot. So I hope you enjoy this. We're going to talk about everything from his move to Dirtfish Media uh, 2021 and Monte Carlo predictions and the upcoming 2022 regulations for uh, WRC. So all kinds of good stuff here. So we'll be right back with Colin Clark right after this. Go five right short over crest into second small crest 40 full F plus nips. Hi, this is Alex and Rihanna Gelsomino from Oz Rally Pro, Advanced Rally Training. Are you new to rally or have you been rallying many years? No matter what your experience, we can progress you further. Our classes are team training, driver pace note training or co-driver training that are tailored to each individual or team. Email ozrallypro at gmail.com for further details. Usually the way I start off these uh, podcasts uh, with my rally cast is, what are you drinking? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what have I drink? I should, I, should, I should be drinking a glass of wine, but I'm, I'm a teetotaler. Actually. Well, not quite. That would be unfair. It would actually be a lie. <laughs> I was a teetotaler because I'm not. I do enjoy the odd glass of wine. Um, but no, I, I really should have a glass of wine. When I, when I knew you were calling, I did think about it, but I've had quite a frantic 20 minutes, half an hour cooking for the kids all the rest, doing the dishes, knowing that Mike Shaw was waiting for me. And the one thing that slipped my mind was a glass of wine. So I'm, I'm dry, sitting here dry, I'm afraid, Mike. Oh, well, I mean, I, I would pause and let you go and grab a glass of wine if, if, if you would like to. Because uh, for me, though, I'm just oh, having a cup of no, coffee no. because it's just midday over here. And uh, well, as an Oregonian, coffee is like water. I, I drink it all day. Too. You guys have um, you have some lovely coffee out there. It's a bit like you're, you're the Melbourne, aren't you? You're the Melbourne of the the uh, the west coast of America, really. Um, coffee snobs, one and all. I don't mind that. A coffee snob is good for me. <laughs> well, um, yes, we, we are definitely coffee snobs. Um, actually, one of my friends got me a gift that was uh, the specially roasted beans from a um, racing engineer um, named uh, Jeff Brown who's in like sports car racing and is his, he has a side gig where he does like this 
uh, technical analysis of each small batch of beans that he roasts. And it shows like this, it looks like a power curve for a race car, but it's like the temperature curve of where he stops the roasting. So it's always just perfect. It's, it's a brilliant blend, I must say. <laughs> uh, what a fun gift. Yeah, I know. It's lovely, isn't it? It's a bit like Yamati Latvala, isn't it? He had his own blend of coffee for a while. There was a story behind that. There is a story behind it, and I can't remember for the life of me what it was. Um, but yeah, the Latvala coffee was was something that was always available in the service park, and I suspect it will be available again now that we're going to see a lot more of Latvala this year. Well, boy, you, you, you do segues so well. <laughs> <laughs> that was something I was going to bring up is, um, you know, obviously, as we g- get ready for the new season of the WRC and yeah, Yari Matty Latvala as the team principal for Toyota. That was not something I expected. It, do you know what, Mike? It wasn't on too many people's radars. Anyone that says that they knew it was happening or suspect that it might happen uh, is probably telling you Porky Pies. Um, yeah, you know, Latvala, my goodness me. You know, it's an interesting one. It's a really interesting one because he knows clearly the rallies he knows the team he knows the drivers he knows the world of rallying inside out but does he have the ammunition that he would need to be able to do that job effectively a lot of people out as i say but the one thing you can be certain of well apologies for some of the uh, disconnects here we're having a little bit of technical difficulties colin i may uh put in an edit point here and try and call you back again are you uh, on wireless where you're at or uh, yeah, I haven't got a hard connection, unfortunately. Okay, um, my connection it could be good enough. Uh, stand by. I, I know, I know, no, no, I know what's happening, Michael. Aha, there we go. Right, this should work better. Oh, my goodness, yeah, this is like a ton better. Right, sorry about that. Yeah, it, it defaulted onto another Wi Fi system, which is normally turned off for some reason. It was turned on. Good, do you want to start again? Um, I, I guess we could. Well, you had a perfect segue there into talking about Yari Matty Latvala. Um, Yari, you know, obviously he has a passion for the sport and whatnot, and I don't think anybody expected that he would become a team principal. No, I, I caught a lot of us out, I'd have to say. There were quite a few names that were being banded around, but the name that wasn't being banded around was Latvala. You know, partly because clearly he really hasn't, expressed much of an interest in going into management yet and probably mainly because we all thought he still had driving days left in him you know i talked to him six months ago uh, or it was something we we're doing for dirtfish and uh, he talked about maybe taking obviously the rest of last year out because of the covid problems don't forget he was at rally sweden last year he had planned to do more events and he would have done had the uh, you know the pandemic not caused the the absolute mayhem that it did or it has uh, that it is causing just now. But Latvala planned to do more events. And when I talked to him, uh, it did sound as if he was going to do a few more events this year. And then his aim was to try and get back into these 2022 cars. So, yeah, you know, for many reasons, Latvala wasn't really considered for that role. Uh, and when he was announced, it did shock a lot of people. And, and there are a lot of people, I'd have to say, that are sceptical, a lot of people that are perhaps, um, you know, that, that aren't too convinced by that appointment. What I would say to anyone that has any doubts about it is look at the guy who's appointed him. Look at Toyota San, the head of the Toyota Motor Corporation. He has, in his business career, made very, very few mistakes. Uh, you know, he made uh, a genius signing with, with Tommy Mackinnon. He's the one that got Mackinnon involved, that got Toyota back into the WRC. 
And he is the one who knew what he wanted to lead his team when Mackinnon left. He knew he had a strong core team there. He's got a strong core team there with Tom Fowler, genius of an engineer. You've got Kyle Lindstrom there, obviously as a sporting director. And then you've got Miko Harvinen's ex-co-driver. You've got Jarmo Leitinen, who will just bolster that top management team. He knew he had a core of very solid people. And he's brought Latvala in because he knows him personally. He knows Latvala's got massive energy, massive enthusiasm, massive passion and knowledge about the sport. So, yeah, you know, I don't think it's going to be easy for him. That is for sure. It won't be easy. But Latvala could surprise a lot of people this year, Mike. You know, I think, uh, like you were saying with uh, Akio's, uh, you know, decision-making, one thing that's always seemed to be for me is that he's this is a passion project for him he is so passionate about the sport and he finds those that are equally passionate to him uh to be in these roles and i I think that's one of the best qualities for yari maddy i can i can think of not so sure about his management you know leadership capabilities Mm -hmm. yet um yeah he never really seemed like someone to lead before so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out it is completely untested, you know, and, and uh, OK, he's been running his own little team in the last year or 18 months or so. Uh, but that's very much you know, it's running a garage. It's running a preparation company uh, with the odd car, two or three cars uh, back home in Finland. It's not it's not running a sporting team. So completely untested. But as I say, he has a fantastic team underneath him and they will give him all the support he needs. The, the, the biggest and most interesting point uh, really, I think, will be that ability to deal with some very big egos within that team, some very big characters uh, within that team, uh, you know, in terms of his drivers. And, and that's never easy, never easy to deal with drivers when things are going wrong. When things are going right, it's relatively straightforward to deal with your drivers. It's when, you know, the chips are down, you're having to make some difficult decisions, you're having to ask drivers to do things that you know that they don't want to do. That is where we're going to see Yari Matti's real metal, whether he's got the ability. And I suspect that he will surprise quite a few people. And, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for him. He is, I've known him, you know, for years. I've known him for 15, 16, 17 years now. Uh, and he is for sure not just one of the most knowledgeable guys in rallying. Not for me. For me, he was without doubt one of the most unbelievable talents. He had speed that was quite sublime at times. Uh, you know, he clearly had his... I almost said faults there. I wouldn't really call them faults. He had he had issues that he couldn't quite get on top of. Otherwise, he would have been a world rally champion. But Latvala is a good guy, a good guy. And I, I, I really wish him well in the new job. And, and it'll be very, very interesting. He's up against, unfortunately, one of the very best in the business. And that's Andrea Adamo. Mm-hmm. And Adamo can spot a weakness a mile off. And he can exploit a weakness from a mile away. So Latvala and Adamo, that battle between the two of them as the season develops will be a fascinating one and one to watch with interest. Uh, most definitely. Well, you were saying, uh, you know, you're working on this piece, um, obviously with Dirtfish, and I, I got to touch on that because last time I talked to you, you were still with WRC Promoter and, and uh, still being a stage-end reporter, but obviously they, they don't utilize... Uh, stage and reporting like they used to, unfortunately. So I, I want to ask yeah. you just about that transition to Dirtfish. How has that been? 
Um, I, they're all friends of mine up there. Steve Rimmer, amazing person. Again, just very passionate people. And uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been up on their grounds up there because obviously the Olympus Rally is really close by and been up there several yeah. times. But great people. But how has this uh, new media arm of theirs yeah. been? Yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're fabulous rallying people. And as you rightly say, you mentioned Steve Rimmer there. Uh, you know, we talk about Yari Mati Latvala being passionate about rallying. Steve Rimmer uh, has a passion for rallying that you would you would struggle to, to beat anywhere. He, he really is, uh, you know, a huge, huge rally fan. And clearly, this whole Dirtfish Media project is driven by Steve. And, and I personally have to say a massive thank you to them. It's been life-changing for me. It genuinely has been life-changing. I, I absolutely love my time at Stage Ends, but, you know, I think you've obviously read my article that I wrote about about the, the value of Stage Ends. Uh, you know, it, it, for, for me, it was the best place to be in rallying. There was no better place to be. Um, things have been difficult in the last 12 months, uh, very difficult, clearly, with COVID and the restrictions put on the Stage End reporters. There are other issues. You know, they don't have the information being fed to them that I was fortunate to have for, for the majority of time that I was at stage ends. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the stage end for me was a great place, but working for Dirtfish is a better place. And it, and it was always going to take um, a remarkable opportunity for me to actually say goodbye to the stage ends. Uh, and I, I don't regret it for one minute. I don't, in fact, more than that, I, I'm thankful every day that actually it was David Evans and Steve Rimmer who had the initial conversation about this project. And I'm thankful every single day that they had that conversation because, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not exaggerating to say it's been quite life-changing. It's, it's, it's almost freed me. And I feel, I feel as if, uh, you know, I'm, I'm now able to do all of the things that I've really wanted to do for the last 10 or 20 years in rallying. And the great thing about Steve and, and Justin, who's the MD there and Trevor, who's the marketing director, uh, you know, these guys just because the rally people, because the rally fans, because they want to see and hear rally news, rally information. They, they want what's good for rallying. They just say to myself and David, off you go, off you go, do it. You know, you know what's good for rallying. Off you go and do it. And it's been, uh, yeah, it, it has been the most magnificent 12 months. And, do you know, the, the exciting thing is that it's been a challenging 12 months. You know, it wasn't the 12 months we expected it to be. Uh, but it's been a massively successful 12 months. And, and you know, once we do, and we will come out of this crisis, once we do come out of it, once things do go back to normal, which could easily be another 12 months, but once they do go back to normal, we have got so much planned, so, so much more planned uh, for rally fans. Um, and, yeah, I can't really wait to, to share some of those ideas with you, Mike. A lot of them will be based in America as well. So, you know, it's great. We, we, you and I have talked many times about, about the dilemma that is American rallying. You know, it's a, America has some of the best rally roads in the world. It's got some of the most enthusiastic rallyists in the world. I'll never forget my trip to the Oregon Trail Rally and just meeting just every single person I met there, I would, I would now call a friend. I mean, it was just quite remarkable. Huge enthusiasm, um, huge knowledge, huge ability, huge passion for rallying and you know, there is that, that, that conundrum. Why, why isn't rallying more popular in America? Well, you know, with Dirtfish and with Steve Rimmer's passion, with Steve Rimmer's vision, you know, we can do we can do a bit more now. You know, America has got the world's best rally media now. And we just need to, we just need to work on the other elements <laughs> in terms of the states. And, and at some point, you know, fingers crossed, we'll see 
you know, an interest which is good in America. So I'm not I'm not saying it's not not good, but there is interest and there's good interest in America. There could be great interest. And I think between all of us, we can work away on that. You do a fabulous job with all that you do week in, week out, Mike. And, and I just hope that what we can do going forward with Dirtfish can complement that and, and, and help the sport grow because that's really what we all want to do. Exactly. You know, it's, it's all a team effort. And uh, yeah, you're right that the passions here are, are equal. We just always say it's the greatest form of motorsport that nobody's ever seen. Um, it seems to me that this has kind of opened up, you know, uh, a freedom for you to do a lot more things. What's a, a favorite moment that you had uh, in 2020 when it when doing all this stuff with Dirtfish? I, you know, I think I think we have to go back. I, we had a lot of fun. I'd have to say it was just it was. You know, I always I love rallying. I absolutely love rallying, and I and I would happily sit and talk rallying all day, every day. You know, and it's it's difficult to talk about your work being fun because I know an awful lot of people are struggling just now, and I, I know people struggle in general. But 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 my work is fun, uh, and I do love it. Um, and we had a lot of fun during the year, even although it was a very tough year. And, you know, in particular, before it got bad, you know, in Monte Carlo, we met uh, Trevor for the first time, who, who mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, our marketing director. Trevor worked, yeah. And Trevor, and the first night in Monte Carlo, because remember, you know, I, I've had up to this point two careers. Well, you, might, you, might, you might say three in rallying. You know, I, I started off working for uh, Rothmans, British American Tobacco, then uh, working on the, the 555 sponsorship of Subaru. That was not the one that everyone assumes, which was the successful days with, uh, with with McRae and and Burns and Science and all the others. Um, you know, I got involved in in two thousand and two, and we had we had another three years of sponsorship there. Um, then I got into the, the the rally radio side of things, and then obviously you know when rally radio was 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 cruelly discarded, and I think prematurely discarded, and I still think so. I still think there's a massive demand for rally radio out there. I'm going to interrupt you just a little bit because of just some memories that are popping into my brain. Uh, (laughs) Because do you remember me and and a group of what we called our WRC Twitterati? I think we called ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would have these Twitter conversations going on with you as you're at stage end. You had time between the cars. You would converse with the public across the radio um, with Bex there feeding you information, getting the split times, the, it just added this personal feel to it, I guess, and, and just this connection was, to the public that I think we just don't yeah. see. You just don't see, and, and and that's what radio allows. Radio allows that that really personal relationship to to develop. You're you're in the car with with your listeners. You're in the kitchen with your listeners. You're in the bathroom at times. In the shower with your listeners. <laughs> you know all of those things, and people take you with them. Uh, and and what I I always I never forgot how lucky I was in the days of radio. And I never forgot what my job was. My job was, you know, to appreciate the atmosphere, the settings I found myself in, the scenarios I found myself in, but not just for myself, but for all of our listeners. I My job was to convey that. And, and it was fun doing that. We, we had a, a lot of fun and, and a lot of people enjoyed it. Um, but the point I was going to make, uh, <laughs> going back to the original story, was that, you know, I've never really spectated on rallies. Uh, yes, I've been to the, the, the Oregon Trail and, uh, various other rallies, but you know, I've I've not actually done very much spectating. So Monte Carlo this year, I think it was the first evening, was it the Wednesday evening? It was like, well, what are we going to do? We're going into the stage, and we had the most incredible adventure. We went into the opening stage, and we climbed the mountain, which was no problems for Trevor because Trevor is a mountain goat. 
Uh, we climbed the mountain in the pitch dark, in the pitch dark, up and down. And it was, you could hear the crowd in the distance and you could see the flares. Um, you know, eventually we, we started to hear the cars coming and it was just sensational. Eventually we went up this mountain, down into a valley, up another mountain. Uh, and then we found this ridge of spectators standing on top of this cliff, looking down onto this hairpin and the cars bombed along flat out. You could hear them coming over the jumps. You could just about see the headlights popping up into, into the air. And then they would just appear into this hairpin, round the hairpin, flares going off, air horns going off, um, and loads of people cheering. And, and for me, that was an absolute highlight of the year. Uh, just being there on that opening stage in the dark, Monte Carlo rally, fireworks, flares, air horns, world rally cars, great people around you. It, it was it was a truly, truly memorable start to the year. And do you know what? It was a great start and it just got better. The whole, well, got better for a while. It then got a little tricky, but it got better as the year went on. I, I remember seeing those video clips from that uh, that, that first uh, stage you guys were doing there. And yeah, that looked like such a perfect corner to be on. And I guess that's, that's a, a big thing about not being at stage end, right? You can choose your spot. And some of these locations, uh, you know, it, it's one thing that, you know, me lucky enough being part of media and been able to go to all these rounds that we have here in the States is, you know, I get to drive the roads and, you know, look at different spots and some of these different viewpoints are, are and what you can take in is just, it's, it's indescribable. Sometimes uh, it's hard to put into words, just how beautiful yeah. it is. And yet, you know, seeing these crazy cars going at speed through them, it's, it's just fantastic. It's, it's rallying, isn't it? And it's what makes the sport, you know, you're driving along roads that, uh, you can't imagine. You can't imagine cars doing uh, 160, 180 kilometers an hour, 120 miles an hour down these roads. I'll tell you a, a little story just to uh, to, to um, reinforce that point. We, we were very fortunate in the summer in that we went to Italy for a couple of weeks with Dirtfish and we covered a few events there. And the last thing we did, uh, we were at a drive day. Was it the last thing? I can't remember. It might not have been at my memory. Um, I know it was the last thing. It was because it feeds into the story. So we were in a vineyard in, in Italy uh, and Hyundai were doing a drive day with Thierry Neville and they got me in the car, which was uh, quite something. First time I'd been in a world rally car since my uh, very difficult ride with Hayden Padden in Finland, after which I swore I would never get in one again um, because it terrified me so much. But got into the car with Thierry Neville and it was quite sensational. I actually got two runs up and down this hill uh, with Thierry and the second run, as we came out of the stage, the last part was bumpy. It was narrow. There was a cliff on the right. There was a drop down to a river on the left. Uh, and we were doing 160, 165 kilometers an hour. And the car barely fitted into this road. Now, we were then, three hours after that, we're heading to the airport. I think we were going to Trini Airport. We're on the motorway. There is nothing on the motorway, literally nothing. Uh, and as, as you do, the speed creeps up on my speedometer. And I'm thinking, oh, this is actually a little bit too quick. And it felt uncomfortable. And I looked down 160 kilometers an hour. And I thought three hours ago, I'm in a car going faster than this, not on a four lane motorway with nothing on it, but on a road barely narrow enough for the car, you know, and it just brought it home to me. You know, 160 is easy to say, well, we're doing 100, 165 kilometers an hour. Until you're actually, you've got a direct comparison, which I had that day. Uh, you know, it, it, it really does illustrate just how quick and how breathtakingly 
talented these guys are. It was it was sensational. And yeah, no, very, very, very much enjoyed that. And we're very lucky. We're very lucky, Mike, as you say, in the media, that we do get to drive the stages. We do get to see all these wonderful places. And and again, it's something you never take for granted. You always feel very privileged to be able to do that. So we're moving into the 2021 season. Uh, for those of you that didn't get the uh, some of the highlights from 2020, I guess uh, go back and listen to you guys on your Spin the Rally pod, uh, which has been fun to hear that. Uh, so definitely for those of you folks that uh, follow more WRT stuff, make sure you listen to that. Um, it, it is cool to see, by the way, uh, uh, old George uh, back in the conversation and Lisa O'Sullivan. <laughs> oh, it's, it's like having some of, the, some of the old WRC Live Radio people back together, which is a ton of fun um, to, to have in there. But talking about uh, 2021 going into Monte Carlo, which is just coming right up on us. Do you have a favorite memory of Monte Carlo specifically? I'm going to give you one of mine. It's, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Having not been there, but just, you know, <laughs> the things that remotely that we can follow. And it was that test that Bobby Kay did oh, in the Citroen. Yeah. That video oh. is, no, 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 it, no, it no, is Michael, quintessential Monte Carlo extreme. It wasn't the Citroen, it was the the Ford uh, Focus. Fiesta, sorry. It was the Fiesta. Fiesta? Okay. Yeah, it was the Fiesta. Uh, it, it is it is possibly my favorite piece of rallying footage uh, where it just it, it, it bounces. It's yeah. to bounce and and it, you know, when you watch that the, the speed is is quite clear. It's quite breathtaking. The control is clear, is breathtaking. The car is changing direction. Uh, and what you bear in mind, what you have to bear in mind when you watch that is that the boy that's driving the car is driving the car one-handed. Yeah. He, he, he would drive one-handed. He, he, he didn't drive with both hands on the steering wheel. Yeah, that, that is, I will, I, will, I will give you that. That is definitely one of my favorite moments from Monte. Uh, I mean, like you said, it's, it's what visually looks somewhat out of control, but yet is in control, you know? It's if just it, insane. It is with that, Mike. If it was out of control, he'd have been off the road. Exactly. Because it was it was that fast. It required that much precision uh, and that much natural ability because you can't think about what the car is doing there. You have to feel what the car is doing and, and react instinctively to it. And that's exactly what Kubica was doing. Um, but, yeah, it, I, that, that will always be right up there with one of my favorite bits of tarmac footage, that, that's for sure. But uh, Monte Carlo, now with the cars, with their aero and all that stuff, a little bit different animal and how they attack it. Um, the cars definitely are more planted. Um, obviously, the chassis are very different from what they were then. Wider bodies and things like that. Do we have a prediction for Monte Carlo this year? I, I, well, <laughs> it, yeah. It's hard well, for me, be considering how close things seem to have been. It's, it's a difficult one. Let's assume it's going to run first, Mike, because I, I think there are very grave questions over whether it will run or not. Um, you know, th things are certainly uh, still very, very tricky in Europe. And, and things are very, very tricky for us Brits because we obviously have this uh, mutant strain, which, which nobody wants. Quite rightly, no one wants being introduced into, into their country. So things are looking a little bit difficult for a lot of us Brits to get to Monte Carlo. But let's assume that it is going to go ahead. What will be interesting is to see how Ogier and Tanak handle this event because remember last year you know Tanak had such a difficult event he had that massive off and when you talk about big offs that oh, was a monster man. absolute yeah. monster it was his first event with Hyundai it was clearly Ogier's first event with Toyota he didn't win it for the first time in however many years four or five years he didn't win the event the event was won by Neuville um 
you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch those two. Those two will be my favourites, maybe with Neuville there or thereabouts. But you have to say, Ogier's had a monster crash in testing today. Absolutely massive crash. And thank goodness, I think they took uh, Julian off to hospital just to make sure everything was okay. He was okay. Seb was okay. But by all accounts, it was enormous. They hit a tree. They snapped a tree and a half. And we're not talking about a sapling. This was a proper yeah. tree. They, they almost uprooted that tree. And I've never seen that before. I've never, the force when they hit that tree snapped it a fair way up the tree. The tree's almost uprooted. They then rolled a number of times and they ended up, thank goodness, rolling into. They didn't crash into. They rolled into a farmhouse. Uh, so they were very lucky. So, But how does that affect you as a driver? Well, you know, Ogier is wise enough and experienced enough for it not to affect him adversely. It could affect him in a positive way in that you know, Ogier is the sort of guy that learns from everything. Uh, but I think for me, it will either be Ogier or Tanak. And if I had to put money, uh, I would say it will be Ogier that wins it uh, because I think he now has plenty of experience in that Toyota, uh, you know, he is the master of Monte Carlo. If the conditions are changeable, which is what we're expecting next week, really changeable conditions, you know, quite a lot of snow by the looks of things, some very cold temperatures, so there will be ice. There'll be decisions that have to be made potentially about tyre choice. Uh, when it comes down to all those things, no one deals with those situations better than Ogier. So my money would be on Ogier, but I think we'll find a different Tanak, Mike, this year in that Hyundai. He is desperate to get his world title back. And uh, you know, Adamo has worked very hard to give him the car he needs. Uh, you know, he'll need a little bit of luck this year. With a bit of luck, I think Tanak will be there or thereabouts. You know, the, the Hyundai has been interesting in that it, it seems like it's got a very narrow band when uh, it, it was being driven by Thierry. And you know, it seems like when he had it right, he was unstoppable. But getting to that point seemed like it was a real challenge. I don't know if uh, Tanak's going to have those same issues or, or, if, or if he can widen the adaptability of that chassis to, you know, better fit more driving styles or not. But, you know, we know that, again, on his day, you know, when Tanak's got that thing comfortable, he can blitz everybody as well. Tanak in 2019 was an intimidating character behind the wheel. Uh, and he could and, and very often did win didn't very often he never did but he could win every stage and he went into every stage with that air about him which said you know I am the one to beat I, I can and I will win this stage uh, he didn't have that same air of invincibility he didn't have that that aura about him last year now it wasn't really entirely his fault remember we had that big accident he had a few technical quite a few technical problems as well and, and you're quite right they've had to do work on that Hyundai, what we've seen is that they've got it working well on the fast gravel, and fast gravel was an issue for them in the past, uh, particularly Finland. They, they, you know, even their their 2016, 2015 car struggled in Finland, and, and this new car, 2017 car onwards, has struggled uh, up until this year. And we saw we saw in Estonia that they seem to have sorted those issues you know you, you talk to the likes of andreas mickelson and he will quite openly now tell you it was a very very difficult car to drive the hyundai and there has been work to do but again we'll, we'll talk about adamo adamo doesn't accept excuses he doesn't accept that there are issues that can't be sorted he knows any issue can be sorted and i think it'll be a massively competitive car this year it'll be every bit 
as I would hope as as quick and as reliable as the Toyota. Uh, and if we're if we're given that, if we're given a quick and reliable Hyundai, a quick and reliable Toyota, we potentially could be in for a very very good year because you're. Let's not write Neuville off as a title challenger. He needs a little bit of luck to go his way, a little more consistency, and he'll be right there. Elvin Evans is very, very, very much a title challenger. And you know what? I have a, a feeling that Robin Perra might well keep his title hopes alive right up until the latter part of the season this year. So, you know, if, if I and I have got it right with that car, and I, and I have no reason to doubt that they do have it right, uh, then we're in for potentially a fantastic season, Mike. Well, and I'm also super excited to see, uh, again, the driver lineup um, at Hyundai. Um, yeah. Just, uh, you know, obviously bring Sordo back for, for some of those rounds. But how nice is it to have another one of the most passionate <laughs> rallyists out there, our, our Irish friend Craig Breen, getting back mm-hmm. in that car. Yeah, you know, and he, and he deserves it. He earned it, didn't he? He had that incredible drive to second place in Estonia last year. Breen is as yet unfulfilled, has unfulfilled potential. He's not reached his peak. Remember, Breen has never done a full season in uh-huh. the WRC, and this won't be a full season for him. Breen is a slow burner and has been right from his very earliest days. He's been one of those drivers that just improves in small increments. But he doesn't have periods where he plateaus. He doesn't have periods where he goes backwards. He always improves. You know, and, and as the years have gone on and as he's gained experience in the WRC, as I say, never with a full season, but as he's gained experience in the WRC of the various rallies, and the various cars that he's driven, he has got better and better and better. And for sure, you know, jumping into that car, having been out of it for so long with such limited testing, don't forget all the top drivers they had in Hyundai and Toyota. They had that that reasonable test in Finland. It was a whole week of testing in Finland for the top drivers. Breen didn't have that. He jumped into that car on one of the fastest, most demanding rallies that we've seen in a while. Big, big jumps, big speed, big commitment. And he drove that car beautifully to second place. He gets better and better and better. And I can see, again, we talk about Adamo. Adamo will use those drivers tactically this year. Sordo is as good as he's ever been. Sordo has no concerns. He has no issues. He has no worries. He doesn't worry about his teammates. He doesn't worry about his position in the team. He doesn't worry about ambition anymore. Sordo just wants to enjoy his driving. And by enjoying his driving, he's driving better than he ever has. And I suspect that between Sordo and Breen, we'll see a win or two this year. I think Breen, Breen has every chance of winning on gravel and Sordo, well, he can win on either surface. Um, you know, Breen can win on either surface, for goodness Very sake. Very true, yes. But, but the advantage that these two drivers have will be their road position on certain rallies. Uh, and that, coupled with their, their ability, their confidence, uh, I think will give wins to, to Sordo and, and or Breen this year. So it's, it's a strong lineup at Hyundai again, a really, really strong lineup. But, you know, Toyota, you've got to say, Robin Perra, if we talk about learning and the speed of learning, uh, you know, his isn't small increments. He learns in leaps and bounds. Uh, so, you know, again, it, it's exciting, Mike. I think, I think it's, a, it's a difficult season to predict for many, many reasons. But, you know, sporting wise, it's going to be a really difficult one to pick. I'm quite looking forward to seeing the odds on this year's championship, to be honest with you. Um, because there might be some good value out there. 
I, I agree. Um, it's <laughs> it, it's really hard to predict. I, I don't want to put uh, any numbers out there uh, as far as predictions because I think there's just so much potential um, of, of everybody that's in at least those two teams. It, it also makes me think of the new generation coming around, right? You know, Ogier, this is going to probably be his last season. We have, you know, obviously Yari Maddy's gone now and becoming a team principal. We have this kind of mid-generation, I guess you'd say, with the Tanax and the Thierry Neuvilles, but we also have these young guns that are coming through, like you talked about, Kali Ravimpera. But then we got a taste of seeing Oliver Solberg here stateside in 2019, and then to see him, you know, move on into the WRC3 category and into WRC2 now, uh, also with Hyundai now, um, just getting that deal to do the WRC2. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, there's exciting times ahead, and 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 you know there are you know these these, these sons of of drivers from the past, you know they, they they get their opportunities in the first instance a lot of the time because of their name, but they have to prove themselves. And my goodness me, there is no question Robin Perra has proved himself. There is no question that Oliver Solberg is proving himself in terms of his ability. He's an exceptional talent, and he wouldn't have got that deal with Hyundai had he not been. You know, there are others that are, that are, I think, waiting in the wings. If we go to the generation below them, you've got young Max McRae in Australia, uh, Colin McRae's nephew, Alistair McRae's son. He's looking as if he's he's potentially inherited the McRae rally genes. Uh, you know, and then you've got Armin Schwartz's son, uh, and he is All a right. very, very, he's a very decent driver, I'll tell you. Really quick driver. Uh, and he's had a bit of experience already in the four-wheel drive cars. So, you know, th- there are there are youngsters coming through, but, but in some ways they need to come through. You know, we, we have drivers who are coming towards the end of their career, particularly Ogier, but, you know, Danny Sordo as well, one or two others in perhaps the twilight of their career. And we, we need to see good alternatives. We need to see what we need to see is competition for those seats. And there's plenty of that about. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see you know, Ogier... We we all thought he would go at the end of last year, but clearly lots of strange things happened last year. Ogier decided he wanted another year. He will more than likely go at the end of this year. And if he does, who did Toyota look to? You know, that's a big, big question for them. A big, big question for Toyota. Uh, who do you replace? How do you replace a six, seven, whatever he might be, seven, seven times time, world champion, yeah. isn't he? Um, seven or potentially then eight times world champion with. So, you know, we need to see these drivers really asserting themselves, these youngsters, and saying, yeah, you know, I'm worth investing in. Solberg has shown that, and Robin Perra both already shown that. Well, I'm also super excited in, the, in seeing the way the support categories have been uh, so competitive um, of late. You know, the, yeah. the, the massive amount of R5 cars from or Rally 2 cars, I should say, <laughs> with the new designation, oh, you know, yeah. and, and the opportunities um, and it somewhat affordable, I guess I could say. And to see two Americans that are out yeah. there mixing it up with them, um, still a lot of learning to do, but they're going to be in WRC2 this year. They're going to be on the all live coverage. They're going to be, obviously, you guys follow them too at Dirtfish. And I must say that's been an awesome thing to draw, I think, those American eyes over to the World Rally Championship and say, hey, look, there's Americans that can do it, that can get up there. Yeah, there's absolutely no question that one of the quickest and most successful ways to grow a sport, to grow popularity, particularly amongst youngsters, is to have someone competing at the top level in that sport, whatever that sport might be. Uh, and yeah, Alex and Sean are two potentially 
great ambassadors for American rallying. And, you know, I really enjoyed spending a wee bit of time with Sean this year. He, he's a character. He's an absolute, both of them characters. But Sean is a character. But more than that, he's actually a very decent driver. He, he's, he's got the ability. He's got the bravery to go fast. He has the intelligence to learn. And he, he's learning pretty quick. And, I, you know, he set some very, very good stage times last year. Uh, and with it's never easy when you come to the World Rally Championship for the first time. And okay, done a little bit of European rallying. When you come to the the World Rally Championship for the first time, it is difficult because so much of rallying these days is about experience. But as as his knowledge bank increases and his his experience increases, he's got every chance. He's got every chance of being right up there in the as you say, Rally Two class. Uh, and and it, how good would it be? It would be magnificent to see him to see him going out there and, and potentially scoring podiums. Uh, and and who knows? Uh, you know he has the ability with with uh, some hard work. Uh, he has the ability to to win rallies in that category. I suspect because he is quick, genuinely a quick driver. Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said, I think this uh, next step. Um, will be a, a good growth for them. Um, hopefully they can get to the events in, you know, again, we got to worry about uh, the COVID thing and, and uh, how that gets under control. But so far, it seems like uh, the BRC has done a fairly good job of mitigating issues within the organization itself. Anyways, um, it's just obviously the different countries and their restrictions. Yeah. That's going to be probably the bigger challenge. But um, another topic I wanted to bring up for with you was, you know, again, just kind of talking about a bit of the 2021 season is the announcement that the UK, for the first time since the World Rally Championship really inception, won't have a round in the WRC. Yeah. Oh, geez. I was talking to someone about this earlier today, and it's, it's, it's depressing. Kind of painful. Yeah. It, it, it is painful. It is absolutely painful because, you know, you're right. We've been in the, the championship every year since 1973, I think was the first. 73? It was 73, wasn't it? Yes. The first year of the World Rally Championship. And, and, you know, Rally GB uh, has always been one of the classics. But, you know, classics have fallen by the wayside in the past. You know, the Acropolis went eight years ago, 2012, the last Acropolis, I think it was. And they've had to work really hard to get back into the championship. They're not there yet, but we may yet still see the Acropolis in the next year or two. But, you know, you, you look at, there are lots of rallies. Rally New Zealand trying very, very hard to get back into the championship. It's difficult, really difficult. Once you're out... Uh, trying to get back in again with some new rallies that are in general well-funded, that are full of young, enthusiastic people running them with new ideas, with an open mind. It is very, very, very difficult for these older established rallies then to get back in. And, and, it, and it scares me that you know, now that we're off the calendar, uh, it's, it's, it's doubly difficult to get back on the calendar. Yes, we have an option potentially to go to Ireland, but there's an awful lot that's got to fall into place for that to happen. Um, but, you know, the disappointing thing for me is that I, I kind of, we have a, a governing body, as, as every country does, a, a motorsport governing body, Motorsport UK. Uh, and the uh, chief executive is, is David Richards. <laughs> David Richards, Motorsport UK is responsible for all motorsport in the UK. But David Richards is a rally man. His uh -huh. right-hand man, Hugh Chambers, who is, I think, I don't know what he is. He's, so there's, there's David Richards at the top, and then there's, there's Hugh Chambers. Uh, Hugh is also a rallying man, you know, from Pro Drive days. He was very much central to the success of the Subaru World Rally team. And then you've got on the commercial side, strangely enough, Colin Clark, who is also a rally man. These are people, these are 
you know, characters who are responsible for motorsport in the UK. You put the three of them in place and you think, my goodness me, these three guys at the top of UK motorsport are all absolute die-in-the-wool rallyists. So, so you know, you, you automatically assume that things can only get better. And what's happened is that it's sadly gone the other way. Uh, and for me, that's perplexing. That is perplexing. And I know that there are reasons and that there are mitigating circumstances and all the rest. But I genuinely believed that British rallying was in for a resurgence under the current management team at Motorsport UK. Uh, and that's not happened. And that has not happened. And that is very, very difficult to understand and very difficult to take. And it's, you know, it's clearly not just me. You know, British British rally fans in general are uh, are besides themselves. You know, <laughs> it's <laughs> well, what are they going to do in November? You know, in November, it's well, they can go to Japan and watch Rally Japan. Well, I don't think so. Uh, you know, it's a tough one, Mike. It's a really tough one. But uh, fingers crossed. You know, we can we can find our way. We've lost our way. I'd have to say, I think we've lost our way a little bit. I don't really think we know what we're doing with the British Rally Championship. Uh, I don't think we know particularly what we're doing with grassroots rallying. And we've lost our way in the UK. We just need to find the path again. And then when we get on that path, we need to make sure that we follow it. Uh, and if we do that with the right people, concentrating on the right things, then perhaps, perhaps there's a chance for us in the World Rally Championship in the not-too-distant future. I am fearful, but perhaps there is still a glimmer of hope. Uh, and that glimmer of hope really comes from a gentleman called Bobby Willis and, and his team in Ireland, because there ain't many other options right now. And that, you know, a lot of people will say, a lot of traditionalists will say, well, if it goes to tarmac, it's not Rally GB, is it? Well, of course it is. You know, it's Rally GB, and, and in, in, in Northern Ireland, they, tarmac on, they rally on tarmac. Um, you know, Rally GB is not just about the Welsh forests. Uh, so, you know, if, if we have an opportunity to run Rally GB on Irish tarmac, we should absolutely jump at that opportunity and take it and rebuild from there. Because, uh, as I say, it's going to become increasingly difficult to elbow, to muscle our way back onto that calendar. Are you hearing any rumors whether that's a possibility for 2022? Hey, or Yeah, yeah, yeah. It... No, very much so. It's very much a possibility, and, and I, I suspect it, it could have been a possibility for 2021 had, had COVID not obviously had a bearing on, on decisions and particularly on budgetary decisions. Uh, yes, it's a possibility for 2022, but, but as I say, you know, it's going to be a 12-round calendar, I suspect, in 2022. And there are some very well-funded rallies that are chomping at the bit. And at the end of the day, you know, the promoter, and in particular Oliver Ciesla, did a very good job in uh, building the value of WRC amongst the rallies around the world. And there are a queue, there are a queue of countries that want to get in. And what happens when, uh, you know, supply and demand, well, when, when demand outstrips supply, is that the cost goes up, <laughs> you, you know, uh, and the cost of, of, of being on that calendar the more rallies that want to get in, the higher that cost goes. And if money is at the root cause of your issues, which you know it might well be in the UK, then that issue is is just magnified by the fact that the price of uh, of, of your participation in the World Rally Championship is going up and up and up because you're fighting against very, very, very well-funded rallies. That's the situation I, I suspect that we're going to find ourselves in. So we have to wait and see, and we have to keep our fingers crossed, and we have to stay positive because there is plenty of knowledge, there's plenty of ability, uh, and there is plenty of will 
within the UK for the World Rally Championship to come back. And I guess say. that's one of the concerns that a friend who uh, knew that you were coming on, you know, was kind of putting it that way. Is like, you know, how bad is it for rallying in the UK to not to have a WRC uh, round? You know, how does it affect just rallying as a whole there? Because when you have the WRC round that draws the people in to the sport, and, you know, of course, uh, there's the national round that runs behind, you know, with, with the WRC round too. And it's just the ability to get in on that, uh, you know, is, is such a draw. So, yeah. It's, it's it's like you know if you're a golfer, it's, it's like saying, well, you know, we're, we're going to play golf all year, but we're not going to have the British Open anymore. You know, and it doesn't kill golfing, that's for sure. But what it does do is it robs you of your headline event. It robs you of your event, which which gets the most attention, the most interest, the most excitement, uh, and it sells your sport. Uh, that's what it does. It robs us of that. It won't kill rallying in the UK, although your rallying in the UK is uh, struggling a little bit. Uh, it certainly won't kill it, but it, it will it will not help it. That is for sure. Uh, and we we do need we do need to do our best to get back. Uh, and 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 it will be felt. You know the the fallout from losing our place on the World Rally Championship will definitely be felt. And there will be a fallout, and there will be a ripple effect. And that ripple effect could turn into a bit of a tsunami unless we unless we take measures to uh, to mitigate for for losing the championship and. To mitigate, you have to put plans in place, I think, and, and we need to see some good, solid plans that say this is the direction that UK rallying is going uh, and this is how we are going to grow our sport again. Listen, you know, it happened in Belgium a few years ago, Mike. Belgian rallying was struggling a few years ago. Um, and uh, you know, we, we had in Belgium, I, I've been involved a little bit in Belgium this last year, but you know, they, they had a, a guy called Chris Cortain got involved as the promoter and he had some very, very strong ideas about how to sell rallying uh, and how to establish rallying and instantly got rid of world rally cars, uh, introduced the R5 cars as the main formula, did a deal with mainstream television and rallying in Belgium, I don't know what it must be, eight years or so, seven or eight years after Chris took over, is as healthy as it has ever been now. That's not just Chris. That's that's the Belgium Rally Federation. It's guys like Alan Panas. It's, it's rallies like Ypres. I did two years of Ypres as part of the, the British Championship, and it was just magnificent. But Belgium, you know, it, it's a great, uh, it's a great example of, you know, how if you have strong people in charge with strong ideas who stick to their guns, there was a lot of uh, a lot of um, difficulty in terms of changing the regulations, changing the setup in, in the Belgian championship. You know, there, there was a lot of people pushing against it, but but they didn't buckle. They didn't, you know, uh, you know they didn't amend their ideas. They didn't compromise. They, they, they stuck to what they wanted to do. They stuck to the road plan that they'd set up. Uh, and it's absolutely paying dividends now. You know, you go to a round of the Belgium championship and your normal rounds, you'll get 20, 20, 25 R5 cars. You'll get 80, 90, 100 cars on the entry list. Uh, you go to Ypres and it's 50, 60 R5 cars. It's, it is phenomenally wow. successful. So it can be done. It absolutely can be done. Um, your rallying uh, can uh, can be reinvigorated in the UK, but it's going to require some collective effort, I suspect, for that to happen. Well, let's uh, put our minds a little bit farther into the future. Um I was going to bring up, uh, I guess, the, the 22 regulations, which I think are possibly going to be kicked to 2023, I'm guessing. No, they're um, not, Mike. They're not. They're not. You think is, they're still going to go to 2022, huh? This is, this is, the, this is the scary thing. I, you know, you've been listening to our, our podcast, and 
from very early on in this 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 global crisis, we have advocated a freeze on these regulations because decisions that were made about the 2022 regulations were made before the ramifications of this global pandemic pandemic were known. We still don't know how the landscape is going to look when we come out of this pandemic. By by the landscape, I mean you know the the financial landscape, the uh, the social landscape. Uh, you know, the, the, the landscape for the motoring industry, we don't know how it's going to look. So to push ahead with decisions that were made pre-pandemic, you know, that were made on assumptions which were probably very reasonable about at the time about economically, the health of the sport, all of those things, you know, they were probably reasonable assumptions they made. You know, those assumptions now don't apply. Uh, therefore, for me, you know, the changes should be looked at and it might well be that you put a freeze on it for a year and you go back and you say actually this is the right way forward this is the way we should go fine but give yourself a bit of time to reassess those those rules and those changes every other major motorsport formula has done that we're just about the only one we stand alone in pushing ahead with these changes to the regulations and i'm not sure they're right and i've said it many times I'm not sure they're right. The more I talk to people like Gerard Quinn, our latest podcast, we talked to Gerard Quinn. Ah, was, love Gerard. Was, yes, I remember yeah, him. He, he, he's, he's, he's got some very, very interesting views on regulations. You know, hybrid hybrid is a box-ticking exercise. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the hybrid unit that they're introducing, it's, it's, a, it's a bought-in unit. It's a common unit across all the teams. It's, it's not highlighting, showcasing the technological ability of the manufacturers because it's not their technology it's someone else's uh, i i just don't see how it works i just don't see is that a good see... starting point though because i'm i'm just trying to think of some other forms of motorsport where they tend to start off with an out of the box thing to just get it going as a concept and then they start opening up development on it over time well, well let's I wait mean... and see mike i mean i i i am i am really worried that we're yeah. we're, we're, we're locking ourselves into a it's a five-year homologation so it'll be the end of 2026 until we get new regulations. Yeah, that's uh, you know, a by long the time ways. we get by the time we get to 2026, there will be vehicles in the Dakar doing uh, the Dakar rally. They're using alternative fuels even probably by then, like some of the hybrid fuels. technologies and things. Yeah. Or uh, not, sorry, the uh, yeah. hydrogen and whatnot. Well, yeah, absolutely. And 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 you know, we we we're in danger of being left behind. We're in danger of. You know, if manufacturers looking at it and saying that's old technology, Toyota were running hybrid cars. Toyota were the first company, the first manufacturer to mass produce hybrids in 1997. In yeah. 1997, 23 years ago. I have grave concerns, and I've said it many times, and I know that it upsets a few people, but I have grave concerns about these regulations. I don't think they're right. I don't think, uh, I think ignoring cost is a problem. We have lost a really central element of rallying at the very top level, which was privateers. And these new regulations will not encourage privateers back because they'll be even more expensive. You know, we should have stopped. We should have put a freeze on these regulations. We might have considered putting in an R5 plus car for a couple of years, make it affordable again. You know, it's going to be a struggle to get manufacturers to back motorsport in the next five or 10 years. I think, as I say, we don't know. But I think it's going to be a tough time for four or five years uh, economically uh, in, in a lot of countries. Therefore, it's going to be a tough time for car manufacturers. You know, to, to come up with a formula that's more expensive is bonkers. Surely you've got to look at offering value for money. 
to teams, to manufacturers, to privateers. You've got to look at upping the level of excitement, the level of competition, the number of drivers, and maintaining your sports popularity through a difficult period, growing it. There's an opportunity to grow your sports popularity, you know, and, and we might get that with this new 2022 car. We might get it. I don't know, but I, I fear not. I fear that those regulations were written when we still had uh, Citroen having a big say in things, um, and Citroen have gone, and, uh, you know, and, and I fear that there aren't really any other manufacturers right now that I'm aware of that are knocking our door down to get into the championship. And that's a worrying situation. Well, and some of those have said that either A, they're just not even doing motorsports like VW, um, but they're also, those are the ones that are starting to say that they want more electric. Um, ah. But but like you said, you're not, not maybe just the basic hybrids. Um, well, you, you what, look at Audi, you... Mike. You look at Audi. Audi have, Audi have announced this massive program for Dakar. In, in yeah. awesome, and, and, you know, goodness me, you think, what if that had been an Audi announcement about coming back to rallying? You know, Wouldn't that how be brilliant? Much, yeah, you know, but, but were we in the picture? Were we ever considered by Audi? Not sure we were. I don't know. I certainly never heard it being mentioned. You know, did they look at our rules and say, well, you know, crumbs, they're locked into this hybrid, this, this, this hybrid unit, which is not, not proprietorial. It's, it's, a, it's a bought-in unit. They're locked in with those rules till 2026. What can we do to showcase what we're doing within what the World Rally Championship? Well, actually... Probably not an awful lot. And Let's they look left at something actually else. Formula E, which was boxed in as well. No, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm making a no. lot of assumptions here, and I'm, I'm yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just saying things as I see them. But for me, potentially, uh, these new regulations uh, they don't excite me the way that the 2017 regulations excited me. So, what would uh, you like to see? What would Colin Clark's perfect world? What would I, you I like to see? Because like we have the two-thirds scale also as a concept in that as well as kind of these hybrid technologies, yeah, what scale, would Colin yeah. like to see? So the, the, the scaling is, is another issue that potentially some people will take exception to. Space frames, another issue. Your rallying's always been based on road cars and on road car chassis. Um, you know, and again, you listen to Gerard Quinn and he makes the point that, you know, your guy that's buying your Ford Fiesta is buying it because the car that's being driven in rallying is a Ford Fiesta. It is. You know, when we go space frames, it's, Potentially, it isn't a Ford Fiesta. Uh, it's it's another car entirely. It's, it's something that's it's just put on top of a space frame. But yeah, you know what, what I would like to do, or what I would like to see us doing, is freezing the technology, freezing the, the 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 decision to go in one direction until we have more facts available to us as to how markets are going to look going forward. You know, we just don't know. We don't know how the motorsport arena is going to look. I would like to see us freezing these technological advances and saying, what have we got in rallying? We've got the rally too. It's a massively successful concept. We can adapt the rally to regulations, bigger restrictor. Uh, there are those that will say, oh, you can't just, it's not as easy as putting a bigger restrictor on. Yes, it is. It is. There's not it an is. awful lot. New engine mapping not, and the yeah, bigger there's, restrictor. There's not an awful lot more you have to do to handle You already that have that going on here where um, yeah. uh, Barry McKenna exactly. was driving exactly. a Skoda here in the States where exactly. he uh, ran it as open class, not just as the, uh, uh, we had an RC2 cup is what we had, but he actually went outside of that because he wanted the bigger restrictor and he wanted to do a different engine map. And that made him as fast as the Subarus or faster at times. Incredible. So yeah, 
and and, yeah. and the car handled the power. You know, the transmission handled it, the brakes handled it, everything handled the power with McKenna's uh, setup. So you know, no reason to to suggest uh, or to think that that we couldn't do that at a reasonable cost. Maybe we we might go with R5 Plus would be a bigger restrictor, potentially. A little bit of aero. I don't know. I don't even think you need the aero. I think these cars with a bigger restriction, I think they look great. Now, I talked to one very highly placed person in the World Rally Championship, uh, and he said to me, he said, we have the possibility that we will go to Monte Carlo in 2022, which is 12 months away, 2022, with six World Rally cars. He said, three from Ford, three from one of the other two teams. I'm not going to say the teams. Um, but he said, there's that possibility, you know, and, and, and we know. We, I say, you know, it's a Hyundai. Hyundai, I've, I've, I've yeah. talked about, unless they get their way, <laughs> unless they get what they want, they could, they, there, are, there are other options available for Hyundai. So this guy's saying to me, saying, you know, there's, there is that possibility. How can that be good for rallying? He said, if we went R5 plus, he said, I would guarantee you 30 R5 plus cars on the start list. He said, car one, will be a world rally car, effectively. Car 30, probably down to car 40, will be a world rally car. He said 2022, as it stands, one to six, maybe, will be world rally cars. He said by the time you get down to 30, 35, there'll be two-wheel drive cars. And, and, and I think he's probably right. I think he's probably right. I think we have, or we did have, I'm not sure the opportunity still is there. I think we're we're committed to this 2022 regulations. It is only 12 months away, less than that, uh, realistically. Um, you know, we're, we're nine, ten months away from homologation of these cars. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I genuinely would have frozen them. And I'd have given ourselves not just a year, I'd have given two years. I'd have retired the current World Rally cars and I'd have said, you've all got R5 cars or, you know, you've all got time to build one, as in Toyota, which they would have done if we'd looked at this properly six months ago. Um, that's what we're going to go with, and we're going to give the privateers, we're going to give... You know, the, the reason that the IRC was such a success, the Intercontinental Rally Challenge, was that importers could run cars. So Skoda UK, it wasn't the Skoda factory team that ran Andreas Mickelson, it was Skoda right. UK. Skoda UK could look at the Intercontinental Rally Challenge and say, as a marketing tool, this is going to cost us million and a half euros a year, two million euros a year, but we can have the champion. Skoda UK can have the champion at the end of those uh, 12 months. And they did. Peugeot UK did the same thing with Chris Meek. You know, importers from Belgium, from Spain, from Italy ran their own teams. You go R5 plus and you bring back that possibility. You bring back the possibility that guys like Mads Osberg can run a Citroen, Citroen World Rally car. Guys like Andreas Mikkelsen can go to Skoda again in the UK, can go to any manufacturer, importer anywhere in the world and say, I will be your driver. And I tell you what, I will win rallies for you and potentially I will bring you the World Rally Championship. That's exciting for me. And it's an exciting That's always been a challenge, I think, our sport is, um, and and actually it's true with, I think, all motorsports, is that, you know, trying to do the things to attract the manufacturers versus trying to attract the privateers. Getting both and wanting the same thing has not always been easy. No, it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, it's very, very difficult. Um, but previously, we've seen, you know, M Sport, for example, two, two manufacturer cars uh, and then six or seven or eight on some events, privateer cars. 
Yeah. You know, so so it can coexist. The relationship is one that, that can be utilized. You know, they don't have to be exclusive. It doesn't have to be either manufacturers or privateers. You can develop a system that works for both. And Malcolm did that, you know. Malcolm used to sell something between, I think, 15 and 20 world rally cars a year. Wow. This new formula, this new formula, the 26, uh, 2017 formula, the one that we're in uh, the last year of now, uh, I don't think he sold five or six of them over the say, four just years. A, just a few, yeah. I, over I, the I four years. I know of year. a couple that have been sold, uh, but I, I uh, can't think beyond just a couple of them. Very, very, very few. Um, and, and it's worrying. You know, it's, it's very, very worrying uh, that, that that situation has arisen and hasn't been addressed with the 2022 regulations we've almost said well we don't need we don't need privateers and if you you know when these 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 regulations were uh, discussed and uh, you know in the main formulated we had potentially four manufacturers and yeah. you know it may well be that those who are making the de- decisions thought three cars a team 12 world drive cars that's plenty uh, you know poof, that that that's it's making a lot of assumptions about who's going to be around in two or three years' time. We've already lost one of them. Citroen have gone. Um, you know, M Sport. You know how Malcolm keeps things going at M Sport. I've got no idea. Right. Because his, his model has been smashed, smashed by the new World Rally Car regulations and smashed by COVID. You know, Malcolm's business model relies upon cars running and him selling cars and him servicing cars and him selling parts for cars. Well, and, and then they were what, supporting the Bentley program for sports cars, but then that's yeah. been that's no longer well, a thing. That's, that's gone. But then there's 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 the follow up for that. They're supplying engines, but that doesn't come in for another right. year or so. But you know, it's 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 a strange one. You know, you, if you're putting all your eggs in one basket and saying, right, we are solely going to uh, we're going in the direction of manufacturers, you know, it's, it's a big gamble because mm-hmm. you have to retain your current franchise, and then you have to hope that you can persuade others to come into your franchise. Uh, and it's that's not happened. You know, we've lost manufacturers, and we don't have manufacturers, as I say, knocking our door down, saying, I want to be part of this hybrid revolution. You know, I am keeping everything crossed, Mike, that I am proven to be completely wrong in all of this. I'm with you. You know, everything wrong. Everything I, I will say I was a bit bullish and and excited about the 2017 regulations, even full well knowing the cost difference. But I did think, you know, I, I, I did follow along with the thought process of we had these stencil cars, you know, basically every one of them looked kind of the same for a while there. They all seem to, uh, the Volkswagen being this exception, I guess it had at least stylistically looked somewhat different, but it just kind of like, uh, we, we want something different. We, we just It just seemed like we were just kind of in this, everything fit in the same box. And uh, now we've got this difference in, in them that I think is exciting. The power is back up The and everybody was worried about that. The cars are safer than they've ever been. That's true too. Um, but I agree that the costs haven't come down over time uh, no. by any means. And that's usually a thing that kind of happens in sport and that hasn't what? happened here. And what? so I... I, I'm definitely in agreement that the R5 plus concept maybe is a better way to go. But here's the thing. And, and again, have a listen to our latest podcast. It's been the rally pod. Uh, your Gerard Quinn makes that point. He said, you know, not so many years ago, things like, I mean, you can even go back and say air conditioning, but certainly things like ABS, uh, you know, the heated front windscreens, they all cost you more on your road car. Effectively, the cost of a road car has come down over the years. The same is not true 
for our top level cars in rallying. Uh, and he said that that is also a bit of an issue. So I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. I think things will always <laughs> they'll always get more expensive. Um, but but I, I, I don't think we anticipated quite what the cost was. I remember talking to Martin Prokop in 2017. I remember Prokop did buy a car. He did buy one of the yes, new generation did. cars. I remember talking to him in Finland and he said, uh, he said the problem, he said, yeah, the, the unit cost is, is a lot more. He said actually buying the car is, is, is more. But that's, that's you know, in the, in the scheme of things, that's not too bad. We can deal with that. We knew that they were going to cost more. He said, but the running costs are three times the running costs wow. of the previous World Rally car. And that's because you lose a front bumper and it costs you whatever, you know, five figures, 10 grand, 12 grand, mm -hmm. something stupid, something stupid. I don't know what it costs, but lots of money. The aero is mighty expensive. You lose bits of aero, cost you a fortune. Um, and he said it was three times the cost. So for him to compete on a rally, each rally was three times what it was previously. And, and Prokop did a handful of events uh, and then retired his car, didn't he? And, and just made the odd guest appearance. Uh, you know, and, and the same for Mads Osberg. He bought one, didn't he? And did a few events as a privateer and then realized this is just prohibitively expensive. Um, and it's a shame. And I, I don't think we really paid enough attention to that when we looked at the new regulations for 2022. Uh, but then, as I say, I don't think it was perceived to be a problem because at the time you had potentially 12 manufacturer cars. The hope you might get another three because you might find another manufacturer. That's 15 manufacturer cars. That's fabulous. Great. Yeah. That's all we need. So I don't think that the issue of privateers was considered. And uh, I think it will potentially come back and it will bite us on the bottom. Well, I wanted to, uh, before we let you go, uh, one of the announcements, uh, speaking kind of M-Sport and Ford, was recently was that Ken Block no longer being with Ford after 11 years. And uh, Ken, he, he did the full WRC back in 2012, 2013? Yeah, it was a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was a while ago. Um, but I was going to ask you what uh, your fondest mem some of your fondest memories of uh, being around Mr. Block. I'm going to give you one of mine. And I think it was WRC Argentina. There was, I think it was coming down off of El Condor. They actually had a long tarmac section. Yes. Year and, of Latvala. Yeah, year of Latvala, yeah. mullering that stage. Yes. And Ken comes flying down that, and it, it's just so fast on that. It was like it was like a highway, right? Super quick um, to, down that last uh, few Ks down to the finish. And he was talking about what the tires felt like driving on that surface. And he described it as gummy bears because yeah. the way the blocks on the tires would move around. It was like yeah. driving on gummy bears. That's one of my favorite things to remember yeah. of Ken Block in the WRC. He, he was always good for a quote at the stage ends, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, Ken, you, you got to take your hat off. The guy, the guy uh, has, again, big enthusiasm for the sport and, you know, he's he's a man that um, that forged his own way in sport, in, in motorsport, and in particular in rally. And very and, late and he, in life. Very late in life. You know, he worked very hard, and, and, and he uh, built a very successful business that allowed him then to go on and indulge his passions in life, and rallying is one of his passions. He's a supremely talented driver. There's no question about that. He is not the quickest driver in the world, and he never was going to be, and he always knew that, but he is supremely talented, and he's a massive entertainer, and uh, you know, I loved the time when we had Travis and Ken both regularly in, in the World Rally Championship. OK, it was uh, when Travis was there, he was in, a, I think, a Subaru Group N car. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, these guys are entertainers and they're guys that bring, uh, 
you know, different perspective to rallying. Uh, and I very, very much enjoyed anything, anything I did with Ken Block. But he, he gave us some memorable moments, that's for sure. I mean, Spain, was it Spain shakedown when he had that enormous roll? Yes. Um, a massive, massive roll. Certainly cost him a few quid, that one. But, yeah, you know, he, he was an entertainer, Ken Block. He still is an entertainer. And, and you know, what he's done with the Jim Carner series is quite phenomenal. You know, he, he is he's the one that, that's embraced social media and that has understood. He understood. Ken Block comes from a, situ, a business background where he understands people. He understands people. He understood uh, what people wanted. He was, a, you know, he was a, from what I understand, um, spent a lot of his time in the ski resorts around skiers and skaters, and he understood what they wanted, what they wanted to buy, what they wanted to buy into, the kind of lifestyle. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he's developed that into understanding what people want in terms of entertainment. And, and my goodness, he's given it to them in buckets. It'll be interesting to see what he goes on to. He's hinting at perhaps doing something with, a, with an Audi Quattro, which I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, so, you know, Ken, Ken's... Um, uh, you know, he's opened up the, the possibilities, hasn't he, for, for, for more cars, for more excitement, for more Jim Carner-style videos with, with different manufacturers. I can't wait to see what he does next. Uh, I would have to fully agree with that, you know. And, and, and again, he, he is extremely talented. I've actually had the luck of riding along with him. Um, got to go in the first Kazi that he had here at Stateside, the one that unfortunately burned up in New England. Um, we were at the Oregon Trail, and I got to do the uh, press stage with him, and wow, what a ride. Um, yeah, extremely talented. Yeah, maybe not the fastest. Not slow. <laughs> no, 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 sure. no, by any stretch. You know, he'll definitely push it. And yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah, it'll be interesting to see what this kind of freedom, you know, to do his own things uh, really brings about. But, you know, that, that relationship, though, with Ford, uh, you know, I, that, that was so good for him to, you know, have a way to afford to do these different things, you know, because, you know, he could, he could get Ford to back him and, and to do all these different things. So that's, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, you know, sponsorship wise or whatever can, can still keep him doing those things. Cause I, I don't know of anyone that's brought the word rally to the general public as well as he has in the last decade. Yeah, no, I agree with you totally. And, and, and the world rally championship missed a trick uh, about a decade ago where Ken offered to, uh, to help out in terms of how to promote the championship. And uh, it was politely told that perhaps his services weren't needed, is my understanding. Um, wow. Goodness me, what an error that was. What a mistake that was. What's guaranteed, Mike, is that Ken will be a man in demand. He will be a man in demand. There will be plenty of brands out there. There'll be plenty potential car manufacturers out there who will want a little bit of that Ken Block magic to be associated with their brands and their cars. And, and what does that mean? It means for, for all of us, we'll continue to be, to be entertained, and, and that's got to be a great thing. As long as Ken keeps wanting to do it, we will keep enjoying it, that's for sure. Well, Colin, you are a man that's in demand of us following what's going on with rallying all the time. Um, are we going to see you here uh, in the States, maybe at an ARA event, uh, maybe this year, provided, obviously, COVID things and whatnot get better? Yeah, I think you could be seeing a little bit of me in the States this year, Mike. I, not, nothing absolutely confirmed yet, but certainly one or two. I, I talked right at the top of the program about some exciting plans with Dartfish. Um, uh, you know, we have to wait and see what the restrictions are with this horrible virus. But uh, the plan for sure is to spend a bit more time in the States in the next 12 months. And I can't wait. Ah, Colin, I, I, I make sure that uh, you give me a ring. Because I would love to uh, come hang out with you, maybe take you on a little wine tour, 
and uh, coffee fuel would stuff. be better. Uh, coffee we fuel. can do that as well. You we got to recover after dog. the wine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old these my... days. Too much wine, <laughs> I just fall asleep. I got to have the coffee. <laughs> That's the same as me. Don't you worry. We'll go and drink coffee. Don't you worry. <laughs> Sounds great, Colin. Thank you so much, man. I, I, I just love chatting with you, and uh, I'll try not to be a stranger. It was, it was a year and a half ago last time I talked to you, and i got to make sure it's not that long again. Uh, anytime, Mike. Anytime at all you give me a call. I'm always, always happy to talk to you guys stateside. It's, it's always it's a joy and it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to talk to you and to share you know, my, my views and my passions with you. I always love every minute of it. Thanks, Mike, for having me again on your program. Uh, great to be invited back. Thank you. <laughs> all right well we will chat chat again soon again that's colin clark with Dirtfish media always fun and uh we'll be right back thank you again to colin clark remember you can follow him on all things Dirtfish media or on Col- as colin clark rally on social media but also make sure you tune in to spin the rally pod or it's also called spinning the line if you search for it wherever you get your podcasts uh, that's got colin lisa sullivan george donaldson david evans and some of the best discussions on WRC can be found there. So uh, make sure you uh, add that one to your playlist if you're into following the World Championship of Rallying. I'm also going to be throwing in a new segment here at the end that we're calling The View from the Right Seat, when I bring on our friends from Oz Rally Pro, Alex and Rihanna Gelsomino, to get their view on a variety of rallying topics. In this episode's View from the Right Seat, we're going to discuss Ken Block's uh, no longer being with Ford after an 11-year relationship. So we're going to have Alex Gelsomino on with us to tell us about that Ford relationship. Alex, welcome back to the Rallycast. Hi, Mike, and uh, hello to all our listeners. Well, uh, you know, that was a pretty big announcement we had this last week of, you know, uh, Ken Block and the Ford relationship parting ways. It, that, that was a good long relationship, and, you know, you, you've been around it since its inception, really, with him. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a it's been a very long relationship they've had. I mean, it started in 2010, so it's been well 11 years, and uh, I've been part of it for all of them, uh, aside from the two years that Ken went uh, rallycross full time. So uh, yeah, it's been a fantastic experience, and and look, 11 years in motorsport terms is like a hundred years and everything else you know so it's, it's a very long relationship it's been fantastic and and a, and a great partner to be associated with so uh, yeah the news came and all good things come to an end you know and the new news came uh, this just few days ago and uh, and we'll see what the what the future has well you know what i remember was you know ken was you know with subaru and and competing in in the national championship but he really wanted to get to that next level and at least experience what the WRC was about, and Subaru had pulled the WRC plug. They weren't going to do that. And wasn't that the impetus to, uh, of the switch? Yeah, yeah, it was one of the main reasons. Uh, obviously, we, we came from the you know National Championship Rally America back then, and, and Ken wanted to try to go international and WRC, and uh, unfortunately, Subaru didn't offer a vehicle that was uh, homologated at the high class of uh, WRC at that, that point. And, uh, and the, there were some other ideas that Ken had, and uh, the relationship um, with Ford started, Ford approached Ken, and and they discussed some great plans that involved uh, many things. You know, that uh, we're all fully aware of. You know, the Jim Cana videos, obviously the the WRC experience that lasted a few years, and uh, uh, as well as national championships efforts, and and uh, and then eventually the Rallycross, a uh, couple of years of Rallycross 
championship and and more gym kind of videos so it's been a, a very um a very busy relationship for the two parts yeah so what is your favorite memory of uh being part of that ford relationship and maybe with the the wrc on the international scale what what is something that uh, really sticks out for you as one of the, one of your favorite moments well uh, it's a great great question because it's, it spans over such a long amount of time but to me the the first two, two and a half years of that partnership to me were some of the best memories because obviously it was a full on um, approach to WRC with the intent of, you know, progressing, uh, you know, coming from America that uh, we didn't have much experience at the international level. So and that's what eventually allowed us to 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 get into step into the next level uh, for both Ken and myself, a level of experience, I mean, and and getting into the the, the level, which is the, the world level, uh, higher level than national. So to me, those are those first couple of years, two and a half years of of WRC events were uh, were the, the the best memories, as well as all the wins we've had with Ford. I believe uh, I believe we have had uh, something in the you know ten or fifteen wins. Uh, I will have to check uh, overall wins and um, and and then many great results and traveling all over the world. So yeah, some fantastic times. Is there a specific favorite season or? Uh... Uh, especially on the national scale here here in the U.S. I mean, I remember you guys going out at Hammer and Tongs with uh, David Higgins in 2013, I think it was here, where it came down to the last rally. I mean, those kinds of days were just exciting. Yeah, that was a, that was a great season, you know, for the fans, the spectators, you know, media. There was a great battle. To me, the best season, I think it was the year before, 2012. I think we did... Three national events. The, the program was slightly reduced because we were investing a little bit more on the Gymkhana videos. They were getting really hot at that point. So we did three three national events and and three WRC events, if I recall correctly. And the three national events were three wins, three overall wins, and the three. Uh, WRC events were two top 10 finishes and uh, and unfortunately in Finland our suspension broke and we couldn't finish a couple stages from the end so uh, it was a strong season with a limited program uh, so uh, that was a very good 2012 I remember really well but also um, I tell you what this year this final year with Ford has been a strong year uh, obviously second place in Ohio then uh, won a rally legend and and then uh, we won uh, the last uh, event uh, the Ken was partner with Ford and, uh, and then, you know if you have to finish a relationship you want to finish on a high so winning in Barbados and and finishing that long time relationship was uh, was icing on the cake really is there a favorite of the cars that you, because uh, I mean, th- there's been so many different versions of the, heck, uh, you were saying, uh, actually in our last uh, podcast we did with you and Rhiannon about how, you know, the early car was really just a rally cross car that was converted for a stage rally. And, you know, then you had the proper rally cars and then, of, of the Fiesta anyway, then you've had the Kazi, you've had just so many different vehicles that you've gotten to uh, kind of ride along in and, and, and do notes for. Is there a favorite? Yeah, I think the first generation Ford Fiesta, the 1600, that was homologated in 2011 and did 2011 all the way to 15 or 16 was my favorite car. It was such an honest chassis, just a flickable fun car and it took us a few events to get familiar with it but once we did it it became quite a quite a, a strong potential and uh, 
um, and it was a car that I truly enjoyed being in it. You know, very fast, very fun, and uh, and compact uh, sort of cars that you know a real hatchback you know and uh, the last couple of years has been in the cozy and the cozy was also quite rewarding because it was just a mad project that you know was developed in Kent's mind and when he told the engineers and the team what he wanted to do the team was like okay we're gonna have to work hard to make this creation happen but it did happen you know obviously there was the first one that was more like a of a normal group a escort Cosworth. The second one was the evolution of the first one, and and uh, then at the end, the second one became really competitive, especially on tarmac, and uh, and we were able to find some great setups and push that car 100%. That was quite rewarding to be in the Cosi, and uh, it'll be a car that I'll miss. So now that this relationship has come to an end, and I, I know you can't give away too much in specifics, but um, th this kind of opens the door, though. I mean. He had to do everything Ford before. There's got to be some dream cars, some uh, other things that you've wanted to do, uh, him him, and you both. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it gives definitely this option now, it gives Ken more freedom. And and, 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 and when you give, give Ken that sort of freedom, then uh, brace yourself because the guy will... <laughs> That's a very like, good point. <laughs> I mean, he's been going crazy on his social media, posting pictures of Audi Quattro's S1 and, you know, and all sort of you know, in, in crazy ideas. So we'll see what the next few months. I mean, I'm scheduled to talk to him in the next few days and see what the plans are. And hopefully we'll be doing something uh, soon. And uh, I, I know that him and the marketing team and the agent are carefully planning, you know, and, and it will be whatever happens this year, it won't disappoint, you know, and maybe, maybe the fans will be able to see us competing in a variety of cars, which will be uh, quite interesting. I think that would be a hell of a lot of fun. Well, Alex, thank you for giving us your view from the right seat and uh, good luck on uh, whatever you end up riding with, with Ken Block this year. Thanks, uh, Mike, and we'll see you on the stages.